invite you to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18. As many of you remember, we were in Proverbs chapter 9 last week. So you're like, how did we end up in Proverbs chapter 18 today? Well, when you leave chapter 9, you move into the collection of uh, single sentence, maybe sometimes two sentence proverbs, little sayings that are meant to, to help truth stick in your mind and in your heart. And so what we said is, is we're going to try, though I'm finding it quite challenging, to arrange the book topically. I'm convinced that, Prover- that, that Solomon had a great reason for ordering the Proverbs in the way that he did, and we'll talk about that as we go along, but, but for the sake of our understanding uh, and being able to have not a sermon on 45 different topics, uh, but hopefully on one topic at a time, we're going to organize it topically. Now, for some of you, this is a great encouragement because you would actually read your Bible a whole lot more if it came with topical tabs on your Bible, right? If it had, all right, anxiety, ooh, let me flip to that. Uh, But the Bible ultimately is not little abstract statements of truth, even though you have portions like this. The Bible is ultimately from beginning to end, it is God's story of his creation of the world and of his recreation of a fallen people in Jesus Christ into his new people that will ultimately dwell in new heavens and new earth. It's, it's that story and, and sometimes you have explanations of that story and, and you come here to some ways, how do we live our story? How do we live faithfully as believers? Proverbs, these Following these Proverbs does not make you a Christian. But if you have your life built upon the foundation of Christ, this will help you with greater skill to become a more godly woman, a more godly man. So today we want to read Proverbs 18.21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. One more time, I'm going to read it. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come to this portion of our study of your holy word. We ask, Lord, now that your Holy Spirit that is so good at getting to our hearts, that that Holy Spirit would convict us, that we would take a look at our words, we would weigh our words, we would put our words under a microscope, And Lord, we would see whether they are in line with what you have called us to in terms of how we are to speak. We pray, Lord, that in this series of sermons that you would increase our verbal holiness. 
Lord, that we would see where we are verbally unholy. Lord, where we are far off in our words. Lord, we all say we want practical sermons. But Lord, I'm sure after you finished with us, we might not want so many practical sermons. Because Lord, you know where we live. You know how we speak. And Lord, these sermons are going to hurt us. But not because you want to damage us. But because you want to purify us. You want to make a people for yourself that will look like your son. So now, Holy Spirit, convict us, cleanse us, conform us to the image of Jesus. All for the honor and glory of our great God, who is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In your name we pray, and together God's people said, Amen. A king was asked, or a king asked one of his officials, he said, I want you to go out into my kingdom, and I want you to find the very best thing in my kingdom, and then I want you to bring it to me. Well, after much searching, this official returned with a platter, and on that platter, there was a tongue. And he said, oh, king, this is the best thing thing in your kingdom. This tongue is used to speak truth. This tongue is used to encourage, to build people up. This is the best thing in your kingdom. The king said, I now want you to go out into my kingdom and find the worst thing. The official went out and it wasn't long before he came back with a platter and upon that platter he had a tongue. And he said, oh, king, this is the worst thing in your kingdom. It speaks more evil, causes more hurt, destroys more lives than anything else in your kingdom. When we come to our words, when we come to the use of our tongue, we realize that though it is a very small member it has a disproportionate impact upon all of us. That it literally is a small two-ounce member of the human body, yet its influence is vast, either for good or for bad. As we come to look at this, I, I had to decide, well, of all the topics that Proverbs 10 through 31 talk about, why are we going to look at the tongue? So I started in my Bible highlighting all of the verses starting in chapter 10 that deal with the tongue, going all the way to chapter 31. Now I finally just lost track and some of them I wasn't sure. So I consulted a, a reference work and that somebody who had added it up, hopefully a little better than I was able to add, and they said that there are 150 verses. Now, that's not just from 10 to 31. That's the entire book. There, out of the entire book of Proverbs, there are 150 verses that deal with speech. There are only 900 and something verses in the entire book. And 150 of them deal with speech. That means that one-sixth 
of the book of Proverbs is about our tongue, is about our words, about our mouth, about our speech. It, it seems like, even though it is a small thing, and something of which we often uh, say, it's just words. What do words matter? Words. They're just not very important, not very lasting. And yet, Proverbs considers it to be a topic of such extreme importance that it devotes over one-sixth of this book that is primarily designed for the spiritual and moral training of our young people to the control and use of the tongue. You'll see that there are two ways that Proverbs are going to be in here. They're going to be words that you should not say. So part of controlling the tongue is there's some things that maybe you want to say, but you know it's not right to say. So you have to put a guard over your mouth. You have to check your own heart. Why is that word even wanting to come out? So there are lots of Proverbs that deal with either checking your heart or guarding your lips, refraining from saying certain things. But on the other hand, our speech is not just let's all take a vow of silence. It actually doesn't just say words can bring death. It says words can bring life. And so it's not just that we don't say things and then we're okay. It's as in all matters of holiness. Holiness is not just an absence of badness. It's a fullness of goodness. And for some in this room, it's not just that you need to stop cursing or you need to stop yelling or you need to stop being sarcastic. For some, that's true. But it's that you need to actually speak the good word. You need to speak the timely word. You need to speak the gracious word, the encouraging word. Some of you know the lasting impact of words in your life. You, you have uh, experiences, memories of maybe a, a father or a mother 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago that said something really hurtful to you and it is still in your mind and heart. You can't get it out. They, they, they called you some kind of name. They said that you were a loser, a failure, you were no good, you'd never amount to anything. And here you are, decades later, and that word is lodged in your soul. But by the same token, some of you are in this room and your parents never said a hateful word to you, but they never said an encouraging word to you either. They never said, I love you, I'm proud of you. You're becoming a, a godly person. Look what you've done. And so we want to, to look at both sides, and Proverbs will help us. We look at the words that we need to, to not say and to check our heart why we even want to say them. And then we need to look at the words that we need to say that need to be coming from a heart of love, love of God and love of others. You know, words are such... Um, vital signs of what's going on inside of us. They really show us what's going on. And you think about it, and, and I just say this because I know probably there's no time in our week, I don't know what, in fact, I do know what it is, but there's no time in the week that we're more tempted to say harsh, evil words than on Sunday mornings. 
Isn't it true? And in particular, how many of you, the way that it goes or has gone at some point with your kids is, shut up, get in the car, we're going to worship Jesus, right? You, you, you're just frustrated and, 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 and we all come to this place and you know what that does? That just shuts us down. Our words have the power of life and the power of death. We've all been blessed by words. We've all been hurt by words. And you know what? Let's just go ahead and be clear. We've all blessed with our words. And we've all hurt with our words. Let's put the shoes on our own feet. And as we look at this, that we will examine our own words. So I want to to begin by just setting a little bit of a foundation. And then we're going to go through, just look at three points about words from Proverbs. First of all, this is my contention that I think the reason that we don't preach through Proverbs is because of what happens in chapter 10. It just totally goes crazy, right? And you can see it's, it's, it's a hard thing. How do you reorganize it? How do you deal with these Proverbs? So if you are a preach through the Bible kind of pastor, it's, it's a difficult book to know how to do. You've got to preach it one way up through chapter 9, and then you've got to modify your, your, your process a little bit or think about it very carefully when you get to chapter 10. But secondly, if you notice, there are actually, there's probably no book that television evangelists preach on more, or not even evangelists, just TV preachers preach on more than Proverbs. This verse that we're preaching on today, Joel, um, Proverbs 18.21, is one of Joel Osteen's favorite verses. They're going to preach on Proverbs. And what's happened is, is, is we who are, are really serious about reading the Bible in context and not just using it as a way to get what we want out of life, our health, our wealth, our prosperity, we're reluctant. And I think because we're reluctant to read Proverbs, we miss out on the blessing. So I want to propose a strategy for reading Proverbs. I think that ultimately the reason that health and wealth preachers go wrong is because they read Proverbs out of context. So I want to offer this after nine chapters, and we took six full months to go through those nine chapters. So I think together we have a right to be able to say, what do we think should be the context of every proverb we speak. So if you had to say, all right, we're going to take this proverb that death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. What would you say the ground, the foundation, the beginning upon which this proverb and every other proverb must be understood in order to be understood correctly? What would you say has to be the solid rock underneath it? What is it? Well, it's got to be Jesus, but, but, but specifically in Proverbs, what's it called? It's, it's wisdom, but the fear of the Lord, right? What does it say? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the foundation, right? It's the ground upon which everything is based. Now, the fear of the Lord has to come from from not just from something that's in our mind or something that we're just modifying our behavior. Proverbs is never about how do I, 
how can I work the universe, right? This is what a lot of Bible teachers are. I want to show you how to work the universe. These are true principles. They're true in the universe, and you can work it. Whether you're a Hindu, a Buddhist, a Muslim, a Christian, you can work it, right? As I, I'll go ahead and tell you the truth. In a sense, to a degree, you can. You remember what Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount? He said, you've got the wise man. He hears my words and he builds his house upon it. He builds it on the solid rock. You've got the foolish man. He builds his house. Was the foolish man actually able to build a house? You bet. He was able to build a house. And probably to every eye, the two houses look just the same. So you can come and shoplift the Proverbs. You can come and pick out principles of truth and say, I'm gonna, I don't want to believe in all that Jesus stuff. I don't believe in the God stuff, but I'm going to take a little proverb and I'm going to try it. You know, it's got a lot about don't get into debt. You can actually read Proverbs and you will be financially better off. You can read Proverbs and you will have a better interaction with people because of your control of your words. The question comes, what happens when the storms of life hit? What happens when your life is about over? What happens when you're facing death? Let me just tell you, when you're facing death, then all of a sudden it doesn't matter. These Proverbs, they run out unless they're built on a foundation of a God, of a Lord, who is holy, righteous, and good, and you fear him and reverence him and worship him. So what happens, though, the other is they've got this beautiful house, they built this mansion. Folly has her own mansion. But when the storm comes, the house collapses. I'm wanting you not just to figure out how to build a good house and have good relationships and have a relevant life and a practical application of all these things. What a foolish thing it would be for you to have 30 or 40 good years and eternal, eternal judgment and punishment away from the God that you should have built your life upon. So we, we're not just building for time, we're building for eternity. So you've got to have it built upon the God who is, the God of the Bible, that you're trusting that His Word and all that He says is right. That's the ground. But the foundation stone that you build upon that has got to be, if it's going to be right from the Proverbs, it is, the Proverbs are not a book of behavior modification. And that's how people read it. If I just don't do that and I do this, then I'll be okay. And yet, what do you notice? Their heart is never touched. But what do you remember as we went through the Proverbs? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. What about in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23? Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Right? The Proverbs, Old Testament faith is not about external conformity to a set of rules or do this and don't do that. It has always been, always been about a heart trust, a heart faith in the God that is and the God that has spoken and the God that has bound himself to people in covenants. It always has been. So if you want Proverbs without God, then you may have 20 or 30 better years, but you will have eternal darkness. So I'm saying to you, build your life upon the God 
who is, and the God who is good and holy and righteous and worthy of our fear and worthy of our love. And we come to that God in trust with all of the core of our being. Not interested, not interested at all in just working life. Not interested in just having our best life now. We want to have our best life forever and ever with increasing glory and goodness. So, every proverb, if you don't want to shoplift it, you've got to read in the context of chapters 1 to 9 that this is about God. It's about the God that is. And our response needs to be one of a heart of faith, a heart of trust, a heart of reverence and fear of this loving but holy, righteous and just God. So with that as the, the groundwork to keep us from using this as a secular prosperity or success manual, we now come to Proverbs. I want you to go back to the chapter that's after 9, to chapter 10. And I want you to look with me at a few things. Let's look at verse 6. We're going to just go through the chapter. I'll tell you what verse to look at. Verse 6. Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Verse 8. The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. Verse 11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Verse 13. On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found. Verse 14. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. Verse 18, the one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. Verse 19, when words are many, this one I think I'm going to tattoo to my lips. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Verse 20. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. Verse 21. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. Verse 31. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. Verse 32. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable but the mouth of the wicked, what is perverse. We could go through chapter after chapter, especially up into the early 20s, and you would just see verse after verse after verse. And each one is, is a world into itself. It's like in chapter 9 when it says, wisdom has built her house with seven pillars. You are now walking into the foyer of the house, and you're just looking around, you're seeing room after room after room in this massive mansion. And in every little corner, you're hearing something about the importance of speech. How are you going to have wise, godly speech? One of the reasons, and you're going to notice this, you saw it there in verse 20. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is of little worth. I just challenge you this week to try something. Notice that doesn't seem like a parallel, does it? You have in the first half, the tongue of the righteous is, is choice silver. But in the second, it should say the tongue of the wicked is of little worth. Why does it say the heart of the wicked is of little worth? 
read through the Proverbs dealing with speech, you will find that over and over and over again. That it says tongue in one word and it says speech in the next. I mean, it says heart in one and speech in the next. You're like, what's the connection? Well, this is the connection. I'll, I'll show you and I'm going to show you one more verse and then we'll, we'll, we'll have our end all debates person will step in, weigh in on the discussion. What you see is that if I were to look inside of you right now, I can't tell what's going on. I can't tell. Right now, I don't know what you're thinking. Maybe you're thinking about what you're having you know, on the grill later. I don't know what you're thinking. But you know what is the window into who we are in the depths of our being? is our tongue. The words that come out of us are how we interact with other people. It's how we, we, we let out of us. Now, sometimes we can disguise it, camouflage it. We can even lie. But we know what we're doing. And ultimately, it is the expression of the heart. And so, if the heart is the root and that root is down into the soil of the God who is, of the God of the Bible, the one who is to be feared and loved and trusted, and that we love him at the root of who we are, then that will come out. That will be the root, the good root. Now, but if there's a bitter root deep down, planted in the soil of self and Satan and sin, you're going to see that it's going to come out. That's why most of us, we can kind of guard our speech. And then when we get into a circumstance where we're pressed or the hammer drops on the finger, what's really inside of us comes out. You think about this, somebody who gets drunk and all of a sudden they just start saying all manner of perversity. Did the alcohol put that in them? No. What the alcohol did is it lowered their ability, their ability that they normally have to to guard what they say. It was already inside of them. And what we need to realize is your words are important, vital signs to what's going on inside of you. So when you say something, you go, you know what? I sound a little bitter. I sound a little hateful. I sound a little impatient. What's going on? It Rather than just say, let me just bite my tongue, which that may be part of what you need to do, you also need to say, I need a heart check. Am I trusting in the Lord with all my heart? Am I guarding my heart above all else? Has there taken a root of sin, of evil, of bitterness inside of me? To show this point, go back to chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 23. This is how the ESV reads what I keep quoting from the NIV, which is, above all else, guard your heart, for it is a wellspring of life. But notice how the ESV puts it. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. So what is it said? Keep your heart, make every single effort you can to actually go after the core of who you are, the command center, the control center, that you're right with God in the core of who you are. Not behavior modification, but heart transformation. You fill yourself with the word of God. You confess your sins. You're walking with the Spirit. The Spirit's the one who gives you a new heart, right? So that's, that's the most important thing. Well, have you ever noticed what the very next verse is? 
What's the next verse? Notice it. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Go through Proverbs. You'll see it chapter after chapter, verse after verse, that there's this connection between the heart and the mouth. You don't have a word problem. We have a heart problem. It's just that we can fool ourselves until all of a sudden something goes against self and words come out that are demeaning and, 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 and are sarcastic and are arrogant and proud and lying and, and, and perverse and coarse. And we go, where in the world? I have a word problem. No, we have a heart problem. But praise God, we are not a part of a faith that's about painting lipstick, putting mascara, putting whitewash over us. We are about a God who wants to put a new heart in us as his spirit comes in us. This is why Jesus says, look to Nicodemus, you don't, you don't just have a little bit of a problem. You want to inherit the kingdom of God? You've actually got to be born again. See, I think most people in the United States of America, our problem is we don't realize how bad we are. There's a heart problem, and a heart problem will manifest itself in a speech problem. And so we need to say, Lord, what is this, right? What's wrong with my heart? Now, just to show you that this connection is definitively there, what does Jesus say? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Matthew chapter 12. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He even then says you're going to be judged for every careless word. Words matter. We, we demean words when we say sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Yet the Bible says in Proverbs 18.21, our theme verse for today, that life and death, the ability to build up or tear down, the ability to deliver or to destroy, the ability to bless or curse, the ability to praise, or the ability to put down. It's in our words. They have more power than we think. We don't become co-creators with God. The Proverbs also says clearly that you can't just say, you can't just speak something. Uh, it says uh, you actually have to do, it, it mentions in one of the Proverbs, it says it can't just be mere talk. So there is a way in which your words can just be mere talk. You, you actually need to work. If you want to, to succeed, you've got to work. We don't just speak things into existence. We have to back them up with actions, and they need to be true and based in reality. But your words have more lasting power than you've ever considered. Look with me now in chapter 12, verse 18. Chapter 12, verse 18. 
There is one whose rash words are like sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. The tongue of the wise brings healing. Your words are very important as evidenced by how much of it is talked about in Proverbs. Your words are an expression of what's going on in your heart. And ultimately, your words have effects. Now think about it here. It says, the one with rash words, just words that you just speak. By the way, let me see if I can find it just really quickly. This one, this one is for everybody who's on Facebook, okay? This is for you if you are on Facebook. It's Proverbs 29, 11. A fool gives full vent to his spirit. But a, quiet, a, quiet, a wise man quietly holds it back. That's extra. You, don't have, you just put that on your Facebook page, right? Don't vent. You don't have to say everything you've ever thought, right? It's not just, is it true? It's, is this something I should say? And we yet, we're a culture, we just love to vent. Well, here, you've got to see back in, the, in, in chapter 12, verse 18, there's one whose rash words are like sword thrust. How many people have you thrust through this week with your words? It's true. I'm just a truth teller. I tell it like it is. Words that I always love and I know I'm not going to like what's coming. You know what the problem with you is? When I hear that, I go, okay, here it comes, right? You know what the problem with you is, Pastor? Right? They're like sword thrust, right? How many of us do you realize that the world wants to just say it's just words? But what is it that God used to create the universe? And God said, let there be light. And there was light. You you, you think about what does Satan actually come down into the garden? He wants them to question the word of God. Did God really say He's wanting them to undermine, to question, to doubt the word of God. The very first words they speak after sin is, is, I was afraid and so I hid. That literally sin brings us shame and hiding from God. You think about what, what is it that that God says that his son is. Words reveal the heart. Don't they? They reveal the heart. Can't see what's going on in the heart, but you hear the word, it's revealed. You see it. Well, what does what is the Son of God? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You want to know what God is like? Jesus said, You've seen me, you've seen the Father. Words are vitally important. And God wants our words. He wants us to have verbal holiness that comes in line with his character. God is a God who when he speaks, it is good, it is true, it is just. And so he wants us to to speak in such a way to realize there is power in those words that when when we put out that sword thrust that sometimes that's going to be a wound that is going to last for years. But what about the tongue of the wise? Well, it brings healing. Look in chapter 15, verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I had 
somebody crazy story. I had somebody say yesterday that they were going to smack me, right? And it wasn't Jennifer. <laughs> it wasn't Jennifer. It wasn't anybody I'm related to. And a million words came to my mind. Like, really? And I just remember, I, I'd been working on this sermon. <laughs> that was my test. And so this is the only thing that came out from me. I was like, I mean, it's very lame, but this is all I had, right? I said, I think I'm too old for you to smack. <laughs> That's all I had, right? But you know what? It just totally diffused the thing. It was just gone. And I just, I just wouldn't bite. I just couldn't, they just couldn't get a rise out of me. They just couldn't push me. And, and, and how often do we realize, you know what? When, when they come, it's like, Ken, it's like the deflecting in all these martial arts, right? I mean, half the thing is not just coming back at it. You deflect the blow, right? A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh tongue stirs up, a harsh word stirs up anger. Look down to verse 4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Would you say that when people look back at your words, you're going to have a certain number you'll speak, and then your stammering tongue will lie silent in the grave? Will it have been a tree of life? Or will it have been a pot of poison? You see this in our verse for today, 1821. Death and power, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. What does that mean, eat its fruits? Do you know what? A lot of the life you're living, a lot of the relationships you have in your family, at church, the closeness, the love that you have with other people, you're eating the fruit of your words. Some of you go, I don't know why my kids don't like me. Think back, what'd you say to them? It's not the only reason. But you, you eat the fruit. Nobody likes me at church. Well, what have you said to people at church? We live by the fruit of our lips. See it in verse, the verse before, verse 20. For the fruit of a man's mouth, from the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. It's a two-verse structure. It begins with fruit in verse 20, and it ends with fruit in verse 21. And, and it's saying that, that literally you're living by your fruit. Now you say, wait a minute. You can see in a very practical way, I, when Jennifer and I go home today and we eat our lunch, I will be eating. My lunch will have been paid for by the work that my mouth has done in a very practical way. And you go, well, that's because you're a preacher. You, you live by what you say. Don't you? You speak to people at the market. You speak to people in the shop. You speak to people at school. You speak to people in the office. <laughs> you, it's, literally, it's not just what you do. How much of it is that people... They, they want to be around you. They are blessed by you, by, by your words, that literally your life is better, is blessed. Your relationships are closer. You are even financially blessed 
by the fruit of your lips. It's coming back to you. Your relationships are based upon words. How many of you go, oh my goodness, my problem in my marriage is my husband, my wife, what they do. What about your words? Are you maybe not just eating the fruit of harsh, belittling words? Just eating your own fruit? I end with this. Probably the most eloquent man in the Bible, at least in the Old Testament, right? Just unbelievable heights of eloquence. Power over words and imagery, just his command of languages has rarely been equaled. And this was Isaiah. Just unbelievable heights this man could go to. And, and he was a person who'd been well-trained and he knew how to use words and he had natural gifting. And, and he was a person who, who could see and analyze all the sin and all the problems that were out there in Israelite society. And yet he gets a vision in the year that King Uzziah dies of God. And this holy, pure, fire God that is blazing in purity. And what does he say his problem is? Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. Meaning, I've got an unclean heart, I've got a heart problem, and it manifests itself through what I say. Let me tell you, if there is anything, I mean, James makes it clear. He says, there's nobody that controls their tongue completely. If you control your tongue completely, you're perfect. There is nothing that should keep us on our knees. There is nothing that should, could, should make us humble. There's nothing that should make us say, God, uh, he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. There's nothing that should keep us trusting in this, this awesome God that is before us than actually listening to what we say and how weak and how wrong and how against God's glory it is. There's nothing that should drive you to the gospel than the weakness and the filthiness and the shallowness of your words that express a heart that stands in need and says, I need thee every hour. Let me tell you, if you get through a whole day and every word in that day is perfect, you're gone to glory. That's the only thing. You never get past this. And this is so helpful because people, they... they, they I think our words are maybe the best window into what's really going on. And I just encourage all of us to live humbly and say, God, I need your help every hour. I need your help from a heart, and I want you to help me refrain my lips from evil and also guide my lips toward what is gracious and good and will build up. And, and I pray that you will, in this life and in eternity, you will eat the fruit of your godly lips, your lips that speak the truth in love, in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we know 
from our own life how often when we are frustrated, our words become like sword thrust. And how we can destroy in just a matter of seconds things that have, been take, have taken months or even years to build up. Relationships that we've had for decades can be destroyed with a single blaze from that forked, dragon-like tongue that is set on fire by hell itself. Oh God, we stand in need of you every hour, every minute, every day. Lord, would you right now help us to say, Lord Jesus, we're sinners, forgive us. Would you come from your altar and purify our lips and would you give us a new heart And then, Lord, may our lips glorify you. May they bring praise to you. May they look and sound like the lips of our gracious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is in his name that we pray. And together, God's people said, Amen.